0: The Radio Misfits Podcast
1: Network. Live from Chicago, it's that show.
2: Of that show hasn't been funny in years. An SNL podcast. I am your host, Nick DeGioia. I'm a podcaster, a comedy writer and performer, graduate of Second City, and a Saturday Night Live expert and historian. And each week, we'll look back at everything SNL: the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts, behind the scenes stories, episode sketches, SNL's his- historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests. Sometimes I won't. But with every episode. I will always prove that that tired old cliche that you hear, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. Well, um, Paul Rubens passed away last week, Um, and obviously it was a a crushing blow to the world of entertainment and to everyone. Uh, Paul Rubens was an incredibly unique, uh, visionary comic talent um, who worked on stage, who was a great writer, who worked in television, who worked in films. Uh, and also created one of the most indelible, memorable, and classic comedic characters in the history of entertainment, Pee Wee Herman. So he was known as Pee Wee, um, started on the stage Groundlings, along with, uh, you know, uh, ex-Saturday Night Livers like Jan Hooks and Phil Hartman. Um, and uh, they together worked on the Groundlings. He created this character of Pee Wee Herman. It took off, became a very popular late-night character at the Groundlings in L.A., there was an HBO adult special that was shot back in the early 80s, and eventually that turned into a movie directed by Tim Burton called, obviously, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That became uh, so popular that he was offered a Saturday morning television show called Pee-wee's Playhouse, and that came into uh, that became classic. Uh, the character became one of the most memorable of all time, popping up in different movies, like Back to the Beach, and, of course, there were two more Pee-wee movies. it was Big Top Pee-wee and Pee-wee's Big Holiday, um, and Paul Rubens himself would continue to do other movies and TV shows acting in different characters uh, in things like Buffy the Vampire, uh, Slayer, the movie. He was in Mystery Men and he was in Blow and he was on TV shows like Everybody Loves Raymond. And he did amazing work as Paul Rubens and as Pee Wee Herman. But Pee Wee Herman was the character that became the most famous thing he ever did. Uh, it's tragic that we lost um, Paul Rubens uh, to cancer at such a young age. He was only 70. Um, he kept his illness very private, um, and when the news was uh, you know, was released that he had passed away, it was a shock to everybody, uh, people in the entertainment industry, fans, everything. I was devastated by, by, by the news that I heard last week of Paul Rubens dying, and Pee-wee Herman is one of the greatest characters of all time. Pee-wee's Big Adventure is one of my favorite movies of all time, one of the funniest, most unique movies of all time, um, and Pee-wee's uh, Playhouse was just this incredible piece of television, one of the best Saturday morning creations ever. Um, and uh, Paul Rubens himself, with the connection to uh, Saturday Night Live, there are a couple of connections that Paul Rubens and Pee Wee have to SNL. And that's what we're going to discuss. But we are going to focus on the night that Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens in character, not Paul Rubens, but Pee Wee Herman, the character, hosted Saturday Night Live. And that didn't happen very often. A lot of. Uh, fictional characters or comedic personas didn't host Saturday Night Live a lot. I mean, people like Andy Kaufman guest starred on it. And, you know, there have been, like, uh, like comedic characters that were created, fictional characters that were created that would make guest appearances on the show, uh, Father Guido Sarducci being one of them. But he hosted one night as well, non-novello playing Father Guido Sarducci, who, by the way, would appear on this episode that we're going to talk about. But we're going to talk about the night that Pee Wee Herman hosted SNL. Um, and it is Season 11, Episode 3, that very strange season. The date was November 23rd, 1985. Pee Wee Herman was your host. Queen Ida and the Bon Temps Zydeco Band was your musical guest. And it was during that strange period of time where Lauren came back and thought it would be slick and uh, and unique to bring in some young, hip movie stars and some other actors who didn't really have a lot of comedic background. He tried to shake things up and tried to appeal to a younger 80s audience by bringing in these cast members. Um, and for the most part, the season was a bit of a disaster. The year that that Lauren came back, uh, he didn't quite have his footing. A lot of his his uh, impulses weren't very good, and the casting of certain people in this season were a mis- They were a mistake. Um, the cast was Joan Cusack, Robert Downey, Nora Dunn, Anthony Michael Hall, John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, Randy Quaid, Terry Sweeney, and Denitra Vance. Your featured players for the night were Don Novello. Um, Dan Vitel and Damon Wayans, who didn't last the entire season. Um, and again, people like Joe Cusack and Robert Downey, um, Anthony Michael Hall and Randy Quaid, they were odd choices. They were movie stars, and a few of them, like three of them, were you know very popular with teen audiences because of the John Hughes thing in the mid eighties teen teen explosion. Um, but you know, the instinct that Lauren has, sometimes his instinct doesn't work and it didn't work. And it was a pretty disastrous season for the most part. Um uh, you know, uh, uh, Downey and Anthony Michael Hall were out partying a lot. They really weren't uh, paying attention to what was happening. The writing was wildly inconsistent. And even though Lauren was back and a lot of the crew was back after that hiatus when Ebersol uh, and Domanian uh, were in charge, uh, it took a long time, a couple of years, actually, a couple of three seasons before Lauren started to find his footing and regain the popularity that happened again in the late 80s. So this is during that weird transitional season. Lauren was back. Movie stars were in. Young hipsters from the 80s were the stars. And it didn't work. The episode itself is fascinating, and I'm going to go through it. But for those of you who might not know, uh, Paul Rubens was rejected by Saturday Night Live. He auditioned and did not get it. Gilbert Gottfried got hired. And this was when Lauren left and and Gene Domanian took over and hired a whole bunch of new people, including Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. Those were the two standouts. But uh, Gilbert Gottfried got hired instead of Paul Rubens. And if you want to hear the entire episode that I do that's dedicated to a bunch of cast members or a bunch of uh, celebrities and comedians and actors and actresses who were rejected by Saturday Night Live, you got to go back to this podcast, episode nine. So go back to the archives of That Show Has not Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcaster at Radio Misfits. And episode nine, you'll listen to it. It's called Rejected by SNL Part One. And there are a bunch of stories and clips and interviews about people who were considered by SNL and then ultimately rejected. And Paul Rubens was one of them. So to hear the full story of why and how Paul Rubens auditioned and got uh, and and got rejected by SNL, go back and listen to episode nine of this podcast. So um, anyway, you know, everybody has loved Paul Rubens. But before we jump into the actual episode itself that Pee Wee hosted, again, November 23rd, 1985, season 11, episode 3. I do want to go back to January 16th, 2011. Um, And this clip and um, the explanation and story behind it has been making the rounds on the internet and on social media for the past week or so since they announced Ruben's passing. And it is uh, Andy and Pee Wee's Night Out. And this was a digital short that aired on January 16th, 2011 on SNL. And it was one of the Lonely Island digital shorts. And it featured Andy Samberg and Pee Wee Herman going out for a night on the town. Uh, They meet and they exchange all the wonderful I know you are, but what am I? All the great jokes and the cliches that you find in the material, the great material that Paul Rubin wrote for the character. And so it's Pee Wee Herman, uh, you know, in character, Pee Wee Herman and Andy Samberg out. They get loaded. They do a bunch of shots. And then they go out on the street and they attack people, including uh, Anderson Cooper. The real Anderson Cooper makes a cameo. Uh, and he shows up, and Pee Wee Herman smashes a chair over him, and then the cops show up, and they have a really rough night, and Pee Wee smashes a chair over the cops, and then after this big night, uh, and it's all documented in this video. By the way, the video is absolutely hilarious. Andy Samberg is great in it. Pee Wee Herman doing the great stuff. um, The great character just getting completely annihilated and shit-faced with Andy. Samberg smashing chairs over Anderson Cooper and over cops, and then they stumble back into Andy's apartment, and then there is a well, there's an intervention uh, waiting for them when they get back to the apartment. Um, <laughs> and it's very, very funny. And in the intervention is Kristen Wiig, Keenan Thompson, Fred Armisen. And then from Pee-wee's uh, playhouse, Cherry comes back, Conky comes back, and Terry comes back because clearly Pee-wee and Andy have some problems and they should not go out drinking. So after they attack Anderson Cooper, after they go out drinking, in this incredibly funny digital short from 2011, there is uh, there's an intervention, and so here is Andy and Pee-wee after their night out, coming home to that intervention with Kristen Wiig, uh, Keenan Thompson, and Fred Armisen, and members of the Pee-wee's uh, Playhouse.
0: Hey, what are you guys doing here? This is
2: an intervention, Andy.
0: What's the big problem? He's just trying to have some fun. Yeah.
2: He's not the only one with the problem, Pee-wee. Your friends are here too. Jerry. Oh,
0: Pee-wee. Okay.
1: Oh, Oh, You're a b- 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 bad influence on each other. We
2: are not.
0: Oh, really? Oh. Hey, Anderson. You almost hit me in the eye. Do you know what would happen if I lost these eyes? They're a national treasure. They are. You'd be blind. So That'd be terrible. terrible. You guys can't hang out together anymore. Why don't you take a moment, and say goodbye?
3: Okay. Goodbye, Andy.
0: It was fun while it lasted. And even though you're a bad influence, you're a great friend.
1: I know you are. But what am I?
0: Son of a bitch stole my line. They're Uh, charged! Hooray! Let's
3: celebrate by doing some shots.
0: shots! Shots! Shots!
2: So that's the, at the end of it, by the way, that's Anderson, Co- Anderson Cooper trying to sit down on Cherry and Cherry says, get the fuck off me. Uh, <laughs> uh, fantastic. If you've not seen the whole thing, that's just a little taste of it. And uh, again, that aired um, in uh, January of 2011. It was a digital short, Andy Samberg, Pee Wee Herman's Night Out. Um, and it's been making the rounds online if you haven't seen it and you want to remember some other really funny, kind of off the beaten path stuff that uh, Paul Rubens did as Pee Wee. Uh, and connect it to Saturday Night Live. You should check that out. That's out there. So, all right, let's dive into it. So, again, this is season eleven, episode three, November twenty third, nineteen eighty five. During that weird transitional, Lauren is back and tries to shake things up. Season it opens with a cold open, a very funny uh, cold open, where most of the cast is on the on the set on the stage, and they're looking through binoculars. And Pee Wee Herman is on a tightrope between the, the 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 World Trade Center towers. And he gets attacked by a bird. And, uh, you know, it's little miniature jokes. And then he ends up falling uh, from, the, uh, from the tower and, uh, and lands into the stage when they have the opening credits. Uh, so that's the, that's the cold open. It was very, very funny. Pee-wee in the full, You know, he's in the full. He's got the suit, the little tie, and all that stuff. Um, stays in character, by the way, the entire episode. So all the different sketches that he does in the uh, in the episode, he doesn't play any other characters. So it's not Paul Rubens playing different characters that were written for different sketches. In every single sketch that he's in, he's Pee-wee Herman. So he never plays a different character. It's always Pee-wee Herman as Pee-wee Herman in sketches that star Pee-wee Herman. So he never does any other characters, which is very unusual and in fact doesn't happen. It only happened a couple of times in the history of the show. So again, Pee-wee Herman as Pee-wee Herman, there are no different characters that he plays. So the monologue, he comes out and does a fantastic monologue um, that is uh, that, you know, that at that time, you have to understand that when this um, when this happened, when this show aired, it was after Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out. So it was November and Pee-wee's Big Adventure came out in like July of um, uh, or June, actually late June, early July of 1985. So the movie had been out already. It had been a box office hit. It had taken the world by storm. And people who didn't know who Pee Wee Herman was suddenly did, and he was like an iconic character. And so this was before, uh, this was uh, after Big Adventure came out, this episode, just months after it came out, and before Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, became a thing. So it was right after the huge success of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And in the monologue, he does some really great stuff. uh, And he dances uh, a lot in the giant shoes that he did the tequila number in, in Big Adventure and he does that on stage he also dances in high heels and he uh, actually jumps out into the audience and does some stuff so here's a little bit uh, here's the first part of the monologue just the very opening part
0: thanks a lot boy is this ever exciting my first visit to Saturday Night Live a standing ovation and everything (laughs) thanks a lot everybody catch me (laughs) hi what's your name miss? Valerie. Valerie, for the duration of tonight's show, your secret Saturday Night Live name is going to be Valerie O. (laughs) And what is your name, sir? Adam. Adam, for the duration of tonight's show? Adam O. (laughs) And you are? Jill. Jill O, for the duration of tonight's show. (laughs) Clever, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I didn't give you a secret name. Say your name right now. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Now, just add a note to that. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm in your living room.. La, 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 la.
2: So that's the beginning uh, of uh, the monologue. And uh, he goes on a little bit longer. He dances in the shoes, he dances in high heels. And then at the end of the monologue, um, he does talk about the movie Pee-Wee's Big Adventure as he changes into some Converse Chuck All-Stars for uh, a little uh, to close the monologue with another dance. But here's, uh, here's him talking about Pee-Wee's Big Adventure and, uh, and another
0: movie. Did anybody here happen to see my movie Pee-Wee's Big Adventure? <laughs> yeah, thanks! Yes. Thanks a lot! Yeah, it happened to have done pretty darn good, if I might say so myself, but... <laughs> Of course, not as good as Back to the Future. (laughs) Oh, Michael J. Fox, oh. Yeah, the plot of my next film is gonna be me going back in time and trying to find Michael J. Fox's parents and making sure they never meet. (laughs) I don't think you'll see another performance show business who does the following feat. Pay special attention to the feats. (laughs) LAUGHTER
2: So great opening monologue. He, uh, he does you know some of the hits from the movie that was really popular at the time, talks about Back to the Future, and moves on. So a great cold open and a great opening monologue from Pee-wee, and then the sketches start. And for the rest of the show, it's kind of up and down. The sketches that Pee-wee uh, doesn't appear in are not very good, and the sketches that he does appear in are made better because he's in them. Writing, not so strong. Uh, the very first thing that you see next is a fake commercial slash PSA, and you think in the 80s at this time in 1985, um, because of just say no and the you know the you know the, the mothers against drugs and all this other stuff that was happening in Nancy Reagan, you know pushing on uh, pushing the agenda of uh, just say no to drugs. There were a lot of anti-drug PSAs that were saturating television, aimed at teenagers and aimed at kids to keep them from doing drugs. Well, since Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. were on the show, they did a parody of a PSA, and you think it's a drug, an anti-drug parody. Because uh, it focuses on Anthony Michael Hall driving around with all his friends, one of them being Robert Downey Jr. And one of them being Bruce McCullough. And this is uh, a few years before Kids in the Hall, uh, you know, would become another Lauren Michaels production. Um, And so this is Bruce McCullough from Kids in the Hall, pre-Kids in the Hall, as one of the punks that he's hanging out with. And you think it's a drug PSA, but then at the end, it turns out to be an Army PSA. Uh, and that's the joke. Trey Wilson plays the recruiter, the great, the late, great Trey Wilson, who has appeared in a bunch of movies. And the joke is, uh, it's the army. The army, it's like playing with a loaded gun. So instead of a drug, PSA, it turns out to be an army PSA, and Anthony Michael Hall runs screaming from the recruitment office. Uh, the, this is not particularly clever. The only thing that really is notable is that Bruce McCullough is in it. Trey Wilson appears in it. And Jonathan Demme, the late, great Jonathan Demme, directed this parody, uh, this, this film. Um, and, you know, obviously, Jonathan Demme, Silence of the Lambs and uh, Melvin and Howard and so many other uh, so many other uh, great movies like Philadelphia. Um, and, and, you know, so Jonathan Demme, in fact, direct Mary to the Mob um, directed the PSA. And that's what set it apart. Not particularly clever. But at the time, because of the oversaturation of the whole war on drugs and say no, Nancy Reagan thing. Uh, it was a nice misdirection when in turn, it turned out to be an army thing. All right, so the next sketch is a locker room sketch where Randy Quaid plays a character, not Randy Quaid. He's playing somebody else, but Pee Wee Herman again is playing Pee Wee Herman, which is why this is so weird. It's why you know, the, the sketches themselves are, are a little bit strange because it's like all of the other cast members are playing different characters in each sketch, but he's always playing Pee Wee. So he's not in the locker room with Randy Quaid. He's in the locker room with a guy, a character that he's playing. And so they're in the locker room. And this is basically, I'm just going to play most of this sketch. It's Pee Wee Herman, you know, being straight man to Randy Quaid. um, And the idea is, uh, well, you'll hear it. It's a one, it's basically just a, a one joke thing um, with each exchange that Pee Wee Herman and Randy Quaid having building up to the inevitable punchline. It's not that it's not funny, but it's just a one joke thing. And the reason why it works at all is mostly because of Pee Wee Herman. So Here it is, a locker room sketch with Randy Quaid and Pee Wee Herman in a one-joke punchline.
1: In fact, it's been almost six months, you know, and I I hate to admit it, but I'm getting so desperate that I'm actually considering paying for a, well... A psychiatrist? No, no, Pee Wee. You know, one of those women who uh, takes care of men. A nurse. (laughs) Kind of, you know, but um, they walk down the street. Oh, a balloon salesman. No, They're women, and they wear lots of makeup. Oh, clowns. No, let's, let's just say that you'd probably be embarrassed to be seen with one. Mimes. No. <laughs> no. no, they do things in the dark.
0: Skeletons! <laughs>
1: no, they, they perform certain acts, and you have to give them money. An evil mailman. no, no, no. no, no. They make you feel like a man.
0: Hmm. A shaving kit. No. Mm. Electric shave. Uh, uh. Wood paneling. Uh, a binder. Uh, a lamp. Uh, uh, a highly waxed table. Hmm. Uh, mm. Manly. Ah, a security guard arguing with his friend. Uh, uh, a bumper. A new, a truck that needs a new bumper. Is that it? No. Uh, fruit salad. Uh, fruit Loops. uh. Libby's! Is it Libby's? I don't know what you're talking about, Don. I mean, if I were you, I'd just forget all this stuff and get yourself a hooker.
2: The so on. that's, I mean, that's it. It all leads up to that one joke. <laughs> it all leads up to that one joke. You think Pee-wee doesn't know that he's talking about a hooker and then at the end, I think you just get a hooker. Not particularly clever, but um, the way that uh, Pee-wee Herman sells the You know, his response is is pretty funny. All right. So you go from the locker room thing to a very long sketch called Pee Wee's Thanksgiving Special. Uh, This was obviously the Saturday before Thanksgiving. So it was an all-star thing um, where, uh, you know, uh, people came on, uh, cast members came on and and, uh, played other people, uh, including uh, Terry Sweeney, who played Diana Ross in uh, Blackface. Um, and then uh, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Anthony Michael Hall came out <laughs> as, as Hall and Oates. And for some reason, when my friends and I watched this back in 1985, that destroyed us. We were on the floor laughing at that. And, uh, and Joan Cusack played Brooke, uh, Brooke Shields. And it wasn't very funny. And it, was, you know, it, it went on forever. The joke went on forever. And again, Pee Wee tried to get as much laughter out of it. But it wasn't very good. And it goes on forever. So Pee Wee's Thanksgiving special, uh, Pee Wee did the best he could. Everybody else, not so good. The impression is not so strong. Uh, And again, Terry Sweeney in blackface as Diana Ross. Um, And uh, the material wasn't very good, but Pee Wee was funny. And I thought that, you know, uh, when Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. came out as Hall notes uh, that made me laugh. Next would be the Pat Stevens show. And the Pat Stevens show, Pat Stevens was a recurring character that Nora Dunn uh, had created. And this was the second time in only three shows. It's only three episodes into this season. It's already the second time that they've had Pat Stevens. So a lot of these recurring characters, they were really pushing at that time to catch on. Um, It was, you know, it was Lauren Michaels first year back and he wanted the catchphrases and he wanted the recurring characters. He wanted, you know, the stuff that people would know like that. So Nora Dunn came with this character, Pat Stevens, that she did on stage. And uh, so Lauren was like, "Okay, let's do it as much as possible. This is the second in three episodes. This is the second time that Pat Stevens has shown up. She is a talk show host. Uh, kind of glib, kind of dumb, uh, but very funny. A funny character that Nora Dunn created. Uh, and in this, uh, this sketch, it's just her and Randy Quaid, who, by the way, Randy Quaid is featured, I think, in... He's only not in three sketches the entire show. Randy Quaid is heavily used in this episode and also was heavily used during that season a lot. I think of all the new cast members, Randy Quaid was featured the most in sketches during that entire 85, 86 season. But the Pat Stevens thing, there's a guy, he plays an author who wrote a book about depression. And again, it's kind of a one-joke thing. She's kind of uh, a very surfacy, one-dimensional TV talk show host. He's a guy who wrote a, a book about depression. And it's kind of a one-joke thing, and it doesn't really work that well. But that's that cast, or I'm sorry, that character of Pat Stevens would go on to be featured several times, not just that season, but as seasons progressed, while Nora Dunn was on the show, next is a commercial parody for a uh, for a for a, for a, for a new movie. Now, in 1985, um, the Chuck Norris movies, the Schwarzenegger movies, the Stallone movies, um, all of these other Jean Claude Van Damme movies and stuff like that. There were a ton of movies, as you know, during that Rambo era, and uh, you know, during the early you know uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone eras and things like that. There were a lot of like uh, very jingoistic pro-American, big muscle, let's shoot foreigner movies that starred people like Chuck Norris and, 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 and like uh, Stallone and like, like Schwarzenegger. And uh, so this is a parody that they did of a movie trailer, um, and it's called Die, Foreigner, Die. So I'll just play this for you. I think this is kind of funny. And again, this is um, really indicative of the time period. It really is dated because like that drug PSA and the Say No to Drug Thing parody, that was really, really huge in 1985. And these, you know, Stallone, uh, Chuck Norris movies were really, really huge in 1985 as well. And so here is a fake movie trailer. In a world where there's only
3: room for Americans, Sylvester Stallone, Chuck Norris, together for the first time in Die, Foreigner, Die. And two average guys figure out that all of America's problems are caused by the rest of the world. They set out to do something about it in the longest running machine gun sequence in cinema history. See them annihilate Russians, Red Chinese, Iran. Cubans, Libyans, Nicaraguans, Costa Ricans, East Germans. No, make that all Germans. French, Spanish, Italians, Japanese, Mexicans, Canadians, Indians, both kinds. Norwegians, more red Chinese. And anyone else who has never taken the time to join a Chuck Norris or Sylvester Stallone fan club or even seen one of their movies. Two authentic American heroes, Norris and Stallone who no talk is cheap, but bullets are even cheaper. Die, foreigner, die. Filmed in blood a you will actually experience the smell and feel of freshly spilled blood. No one will be admitted without a change of clothes.
2: Uh, you know, not the most brilliant thing of all time. Again, in 1985, with all those Chuck Norris and Stallone movies and all those big muscle guns, and, you know, Movies. It actually was pretty funny. So like that earlier PSA, um, it was timely for 1985. And I thought that was a pretty funny bit. Um, I do want to mention this now because, you know, I got more clips that I'm going to be playing from the episode. And at this point in the episode, uh, Pee Wee is standing out. Some things are working, some things aren't. Um, and uh, some of the other things that come up a little bit later do not work as well as, as, a, as the earlier thing. But I do want to mention this. In the versions that you can find online and the uh, the edited version of this episode, again, this is uh, episode uh, three of season 11. Um, if you find this on Peacock, the episode that's on Peacock, the edited version that's on Peacock, it has been really, really sweetened with canned laughter, uh, like obvious canned laughter. Um, I remember watching the episode with my friends when it aired live in 1985. And as we watched it, We were like, man, this isn't very funny. And the audience that night didn't think so. Um, So the versions that you will find online or the version, the edited version that you will find on Peacock has been cut together using clips from dress rehearsal. If the sketch went better in dress, they use it in the in the episode that you can find now. Or they have just gone so far as to completely sweeten the mix with canned laughter. And it'll be apparent when you hear some of the uh, other sketches that I'm going to play here, especially this next one, um, Well, you can hear it. Just listen closely. And the, the laughter is so clearly canned and recorded and added after the fact to sweeten the laughs because the live audience was just not into it. So you'll hear it. Listen closely. There are some very obvious moments where it was tinkered with after the fact for the reruns, for the Comedy Central reruns, and for Peacock, and for any other time that you could catch this online. It has been sweetened with really obvious and really poorly added and recorded canned fake laughter. So anyway, the next sketch is another recurring character that is brought in for the second time in three episodes. And this is Tommy Flanagan, John Lovitz's famous liar character. Yeah, that's the ticket, that whole character. Again, like uh, Pat Stevens, uh, that character that Nora Dunn did, again, Lauren pushing the new characters. We want catchphrases. We want characters that people will remember. We want t-shirts. And it just wasn't happening. So they pushed it. Tommy Flanagan became like, I think, I guess, the quintessential uh, character that John Lovitz created, the liar character. Well, the sets the sketch here is Pee-wee Herman gets thrown in jail and he's sharing his cell with Tommy Flanagan, who continues to tell a bunch of lies, and then it gets to the point where. Uh, Lovitz's character tells lies and then Pee-wee tells lies and that's the whole joke it's like they build up liar, lie, lie, lie it's a one joke thing so it's Pee-wee Herman in jail with Tommy Flanagan telling lies
0: well oh, that's because they don't know they're missing yeah so uh, what are you in for robbery, extortion, or murder? speeding <laughs> yeah uh, yeah it was speeding away from a bank. I robbed. bank robber huh I was a bank robber when I was a kid Yeah, I was uh, 12 years old at the time. Yeah, I used to rob five banks a day, six days a week. Then on the day off, uh, it was a pickpocket. Yeah, that's it. I never robbed a bank when I was a kid. My mom wouldn't let me, but uh... But I trained my dog to do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my dog, he could sit, roll over, and rob banks. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, except uh... Except he got run over chasing a Brinks truck. (laughs) Oh yeah, I saw that accident. Well, <laughs> He asked me, he got what was coming to him. You know, it's getting so he can hardly walk down the streets anymore. Why, just the other day, I was uh, walking home from robbing uh, uh, Fort Knox. For the and then uh, time, I suppose. Uh, well, now you're being silly. <laughs> anyway, I, I was walking on my way home, and all of a sudden, this man walks up to me, and he sticks a gun in my face. So you killed him? No, no, I, uh, I flipped him. Yeah, that's what I did, isn't then turned out he was a Russian spy. Yeah, yeah, that's it. He was a—he was the head of the KGB. Yeah, you know, I think I remember that. I was the president... I was the head of the CIA at the time. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. No, no, I wouldn't kid, Jill. See, I started out as a regular agent, then they promoted me to double agent, then i got shipped off to brazil because i could speak portuguese so good i speak portuguese too when i'm in the mood
2: yeah so uh there it is uh and that's essentially what it is it's just them telling lies back and forth and man um again listen to that canned laughter um because that sketch did not play very well during the live uh broadcast so yeah uh you can hear it and you'll hear it more in in a lot of these sketches so as you're listening to these sketches Take a close listen to just how canned and fake the laughter is that had been sweetened uh, that you'll hear. Uh, next was um, Update. Now, this is weird because they did not do a musical performance. The, the, the guest, the musical guest um, that night, uh, being uh, Queen Ida and uh, the Zydeco band, uh, they did not do two performances separately. They did two songs together. Normally, right before Update is when you'll see your first musical guest performance. Well, that didn't happen here. So the next uh, moment was. Uh, update and this was the third update featuring Dennis Miller as your um, as your anchor and this was when Dennis Miller was trying to uh, find his footing he wasn't great yet he didn't find that rhythm I think Dennis Miller uh, historically is one of the best anchors in the history of uh, Weekend Update and in uh, an episode coming soon I in fact am going to dedicate an entire episode to the best and worst anchors in the history of Weekend Update and uh, Saturday Night News uh, as it was called in a few seasons. Uh, But Dennis Miller had not found his footing yet. He wasn't as confident. He was still He was still, he still had that wit, that very quick thing. He, his best stuff was when he's thinking on his feet. And during this particular update, when the, when there, and there were a lot of them, when the jokes didn't do well, Miller would do, you know, he would, he would rescue them by, uh, you know, off the top of his head, making some sort of smart ass comment. Uh, Some of the great jokes included a Procter and Gamble uh, joke about decomposed bodies um, uh, you know, his, his ad libs were pretty funny. There were a lot of weird video footage segments. Uh, there was a wardrobe imitation talks that involved Nancy Reagan, uh, and Gorbachev's wife. Uh, there, he took apart the David Bowie, uh, Mick Jagger dancing in the street video where, uh, he said something like, uh, middle-aged millionaires using their bums to start a fire. And at that time in 1985, that video was completely made fun of constantly. So they did a nice job with that. There are early Donald Trump mentions here uh, back before he became a politician and was just the rich jerk uh, real estate guy in New York. He takes pot shots at him. Uh, John Schwartzwelder, who would go on to write amazing episodes and some of the best episodes in the history of The Simpsons, one of the head writers and one of the best writers in The Simpsons. He was a writer and he appeared uh, in a photo uh, during Weekend Update in the background of a photo, the uh, small potato shaped. Uh, like a big potato sketch, or uh, that scene. And then Don Novello, who, by the way, is introduced at the beginning in the credits as Don Novello, comes back uh, as uh, Father Guido Sarducci. And this was his first time back in five years. Don Novello, this was his first episode back in five years. And so as a result, they let him go on forever on Update. It was one of those endless Guido Sarducci bits that, during, um, you know, season uh, three and four, when they let Don Novello be Father Guido Sarducci as a cast member, he would come on every week, and he would be on update, and he would go at least five to six minutes on update, doing bits that for the most part just didn't work or would have worked had they lasted half the time. And this one uh, just goes on forever, um, and it's about uh, the passing of a Monsignor and about the uh, the People's Catholic Church, where everyone is a pope, and it's a whole long, long bit uh, with Father Guido Sarducci talking about Monsignors and Popes, and he has you send in your choice for the people's choice. He puts up the, you know, the 30 Rock uh, address where you can send in your thoughts on it. And it's just a bit that goes on forever, and then that closes off Update. Um, And then uh, after Update is this very strange sketch called Dinosaur Town, and it involves Randy Quaid and Joan Cusack, and they play these Westerners. They're like, it's in Texas. Uh, And they they play these people who own like a dinosaur town uh, and it's in danger of being bought out and sold. And the only way that they can get enough money to pay their bills to keep dinosaur town open is to uh, do a scam where they're going to find a mouse in a bottle of Coke. I, I don't know if this needs explanation or not, but there was a period of time when there were a lot of stories in the newspaper about people finding mice in bottles of Coke. I worked, by the way, I worked at a grocery store at the time, and it became like a huge thing at the grocery store where we actually had to pull Coke off of the shelves because it became so commonplace. There were some issues. And then it got to the point where obviously people were trying to plant mice inside Coke bottles to make money because the people who found mice in Coke bottles, they were suing Coke for a lot of money. So this entire sketch starts out as a dinosaur sketch with Pee Wee and these two Western characters in cowboy uh, uh, costumes. And then it turns into a sketch satirizing the current craze in the 80s of finding mice in Coke bottles. It made no sense whatsoever. But for some reason, this sketch, because of Pee Wee, it, it it did kind of work. It goes on forever. It goes on too long. But at one point, they decide that they're going to save Dinosaur Land by getting a, a, a bottle of Coke with, uh, with a mouse in it. And what they're doing is dumping out Coke. And so Pee Wee, for some reason, calls up a couple of hoods played by Anthony Michael Hall and Damon Wayans to help them find a mouse in a bottle of Coke. It makes no sense. But anyway, here's a clip from it. This is from the dinosaur sketch that also involves finding a mouse in a bottle of Coke. Look,
0: if it were so easy to find a mouse in a bottle of Coke, do you think the company would pay so much? Hey, we, we had
1: any word from those friends of yours in Chicago?
0: No. Uh, let me give them a call. Listen up. I got a Big Mac with some car keys in it, and I got a cream soda bottle with a cigar butt. No coke with a mouse. It's a to one shot. You know what I'm saying? Look, we be rapping to our people on the street later, relative to this situation, and we'll see what we can do. Catch you later.
2: So that's the that's the premise. Anthony Michael Hall playing a variation of the bit that he did in Weird Science, uh, where he played the pimp. So he's doing a variation on that, and then Damon Wayans doing like the the Hustler uh, character that he would go on to do um, selling uh, uh, appliances and stuff out the back of a van in In Living Color. And again, uh, Damon Wayans did not last the entire season, and that's covered in another episode as well. (laughs) So uh, you might want to check that out too. But yeah, it's a sketch that goes on forever, and the only thing that keeps it afloat is, of course, Pee Wee Herman. Um, And uh, and again, like the PSA, the Army PSA, the drug PSA, and like that uh, Stallone uh, fake trailer, the whole Coke bottle with the mouse in it was a big thing in 1985, so these were timely pieces of humor <laughs> that were happening in pop culture at the time. Boy, the 80s were weird, and for for a, for an episode to focus on such weird stuff, it really tells you just how strange and kind of shitty 1985 was. All right, finally we get to the musical guest, and they do two songs. Fantastic uh, band. Queen Ida um, and uh, the Bontemps Zydeco Band, they do two numbers. She plays the accordion, a great band, very lively. And it was a band, actually, that, you know, would have fit in in the first couple of seasons of SNL because back in the first couple of seasons of SNL, the musical guest uh, performances were much looser. They happened a little bit more often. They were spread out throughout the show. They had musical guests as hosts who would do two or three numbers. And at first, when they first wanted to do SNL, Lauren's idea was to make it a variety thing so that there would be more than just one musical guest with two numbers, which is the way it is now, and that the musical numbers would be part of sketches, and, and it became more of a variety thing. Well, these this band would have fit in perfectly for that. It's a little weird to see a band like this in 1985, because you heard some of the music cues in this episode so far. Very tech-heavy, very, you know, like, or, you know, you know like a keyboard-heavy, tech, techno-heavy uh, 80s stuff. And to have, like, a band, a Zydeco band with accordions and all kinds of like really cool and interesting, you know, New Orleans type instruments. Um, It was off. It was a little bit strange, but great and refreshing. So the next sketch is a love letter sketch with Joan Cusack as a teacher, Pee Wee Herman as her student, and he has been writing her love letters in his homework. Um, And it's a sketch that goes on forever, but it doesn't work at all. Um, And Joan Cusack seems to be struggling in this. Um, as the teacher, it's a good idea, but it it just doesn't work. And it's Pee-wee is the student; she's the teacher, and he has she has to teach him that you know he's really not in love with her, despite the fact that he keeps writing her love letters. And uh, it goes for a sweet kind of a message between student and teacher. But it's Pee-wee, and it's clearly an adult, not a kid. And Joan Cusack struggles throughout the entire thing. In fact, she struggled the entire year that she was on. Uh, Joan Cusack, a great actress, an unbelievably funny woman, a great comedic actress, but just not cut out for live sketch comedy. And uh, unfortunately, she was completely out of her element during SNL, um, and it just was not something that she was great at. And in this sketch, she struggles mightily, and the sketch goes on forever, and it's just a, two, a two-person sketch. Joan Cusack is teacher, Pee Wee Herman is student. The idea is interesting, but it fails pretty, pretty badly. And then um, we have – Denitra Vance comes out, and she plays her character, Cabrini Green Jackson. Cabrini Green, obviously, named after uh, the housing project here in Chicago. Cabrini Green Jackson, she came out and did like the – it had a very sort of a Whoopi Goldberg, Lily Tomlin, one-woman Broadway, off-Broadway show sketch feel to it. And she would come out and do this. It was a recurring character, and this was the second time, again, in three episodes – that they brought back these recurring characters that, for some reason, Lauren Michaels was going to shove down your throat until you knew a catchphrase. And uh, not a very funny character and also incredibly unoriginal because at that time, like I mentioned, there were a lot of... It almost became a cliché. It almost became like the the off-Broadway one-woman character show. And she did not... And Denitra Vance did not add anything new to that. And uh, she came out, it was a long sketch, and she was talking about... um, you know, uh, uh, pregnancy tips, you know, how not to smoke, not to drink booze and all kinds of stuff. And it ran really long and it wasn't very funny. Um, there were a couple of funny moments in it, but for the most part, and she seemed to be struggling as well, uh, looking at the teleprompter and all that stuff. So it didn't really work well. And so that was just a one woman thing. And then the, for some reason, the 1250 sketch, the final sketch of the night. So now Pee-wee has not been on stage since the Love Letter sketch. So you had the one-woman thing with uh, Cabrini-Green uh, Jackson, Denitra Vance. And the next sketch is almost a one-man a, one woman, a one man show with Randy Quaid, again, who's been featured heavily in this episode, playing Hal Fisher, who is a money expert giving a money seminar with, uh, w- you know, with an overhead projector and giving this whole... And he does the whole thing. It's a 1250 sketch, and it goes on forever, and only Robert Downey Jr. comes up at the end of the sketch... For the rest of it, it's just Randy Quaid. And it's a terrible sketch. And Pee Wee is nowhere to be found in this sketch. So you've got three sketches in a row where Pee Wee is off the stage. I mean, the main reason why people tuned in, the main reason at that point, because, you know, the movie was hot, Pee Wee was big, and you don't have him in the final three sketches of the show. And your longest sketch at the end of the show, your 1250 sketch, is basically Randy Quaid playing a really confused and confusing money seminar character, and it doesn't work. And Robert Downey comes up at the end. I'm going to play that. Robert Downey comes up at the end to try to add some life to it. It's poorly written. It goes on forever, and Randy Quaid is a mess in this sketch, and it's just not funny. And you, you, you know, uh, you know, as I've mentioned before on this on this podcast. That the 1250, the final sketch of the night, is always the weirdest stuff or the stuff that wouldn't work. But for the most part, those 1250 sketches are at least interesting and fascinating. If they suck, it's because they're weird and you didn't know what to do with them. Uh, And if they don't suck, then they turn out to be classic. And some of the 1250 sketches have gone on to be amazing. This was not one of them. Randy Quaid doing a money seminar sketch that had no laughs in it and didn't even work when they brought Robert Downey up on stage. Uh, And again, I'm going to play a little piece of this. This is when they finally bring Robert Downey up. Now, Randy Quaid has been up on stage by this point for over four minutes doing a sketch that should be two minutes long. Finally, Robert Downey comes up. And again, not funny. Randy Quaid, like at this point, four minutes of not laughing, four minutes of dead material, four minutes of really, really unfunny stuff. And listen again to how sweetened and how canned this laughter is, which was added later. So this is uh, uh, Randy Quaid doing his money seminar, Bringing Robert Downey Jr. up. Do I upstairs?
1: need to wear a bunch of flashy clothing and jewelry? Absolutely not. How about age? Can I be too old or too young? No way. In fact, there's a young man with us here today who is proof of that. Uh, Mark, could you come up here, please? Mark? Thank you, Mark. Mark, first of all, how old are you? Uh, I'm 18, Hal. Uh-huh, and can you tell everyone here about your last real estate purchase? Yeah, well, uh, two months ago, I purchased a small farm right near Abilene, Kansas. Uh-huh, and how much money did you pay for that, Mark? Uh, well, I put down a dollar, Hal. One dollar, isn't that amazing? And how many acres is that? I think it was like 240 or 250. Yes, and all you did was submit that minimum $1 bid at an internal revenue seized property auction exactly as outlined on page 113 yep. of my money magnet yep. handbook. That is correct, Hal. <laughs> and how old are you? again i'm 18 huh? oh. <laughs> thank you mark All right, now there's a guy to watch huh happy farming all right we're gonna take a short break but when we come back we're gonna we're gonna put that old money magnet method to work and buy this hotel so thank you and come on back
2: yeah um i don't even know what to say man uh <laughs> it's a terrible sketch even when robert downey comes up there there's nothing funny There are no punchlines in it. And that sketch went on for almost five minutes with Robert Downey coming up to try and save it and be wacky, wearing a wacky T-shirt and funny glasses. And the audience was dead, and they added some sweetening uh, fake laughter to it. But it was terrible. And that was the final sketch of the night. So uh, you had had a great cold open with uh, Pee Wee on the tightrope. You had a terrific monologue with him dancing and talking about Back to the Future and doing all the cool stuff. You had that relatively funny... Blackout uh, joke army PSA that used to be a drug PSA. The locker room sketch which was the the hooker joke. Uh, Pee-wee's Thanksgiving special which was up and down. The Pat Stevens show which didn't work. Die for or die which was the TV or the uh, the theater movie theater uh, a trailer ad which was actually pretty funny. Uh, Pee-wee and Tommy Flanagan in jail telling lies that wasn't very funny. Uh, Weekend update which was okay but Father Guido Sarducci took it over for five minutes and it didn't work. The dinosaur town thing, which was bizarre because it became about a Coke with a mouse in it. The love letter between Pee-wee and Joan Cusack um, and Cabrini Green Jackson. And then the final episode, the final sketch, which was a disaster. None of the stuff in the final 15 minutes of the show featured Pee-wee. Finally, Pee-wee comes out for Good Nights. And it's fun to see him up there. And uh, this is really a lot of fun to watch. And you'll hear what happens. This is Pee-wee giving the good nights at the end of the episode. (laughs)
0: had a really, really swell time hosting Saturday Night Live tonight, especially working with this young and talented cast, the cool band, everybody here, and we got about 30 seconds left, so uh, do you guys know Sex Machine? <laughs> on, get it!
2: So this goes on for another like minute and a half and all the credits are running at this point. So the credits are rolling. It's the very end. So instead of doing your standard goodnights with the good night classic theme song, um, you know, uh, <laughs> that Howard Shore uh, wrote and, uh, and, and created, uh, it's just him singing James Brown with the entire cast up there kind of dancing with him. And it's kind of fun. And then that's the end of the episode. So overall, not a not a great episode by any stretch of the imagination. Some interesting things at the end there during Good Nights. Damon Wayans just walks off the stage at one point, point. and then Dan Vitale, who was a cast member, a featured cast member, uh, didn't do much. Never really, uh, never really contributed a lot. Was on the show for a little while during that season, um, and is one of those, you know, he's one of those trivia questions. Like, Dan Vitale? Who is he? And then you can just say if you're ever at a, a trivia contest, and one of the questions is. Cast members that were briefly on Saturday Night Live that no one on earth remembers. That's one of them. But anyway, Damon Wayans walks off the stage at one point. Dan Vitell takes over his spot. Uh, And uh, Anthony Michael Hall and Robert Downey Jr. during dress rehearsal of The Good Nights, they were still dressed as as Hall and Oates. Uh, And then an interesting credit at the end, during the writing credits, when all the writer credits were being scrolled, uh, one of the credits was, special additional material written by Phil Hartman and John Paragon uh, because uh, they were two of the guys at Groundlings who helped Pee-Wee write the material, who helped Paul Rubens write the material for Pee-Wee. So there is a credit for Phil Hartman on this episode, and he would not make an appearance on the episode for a couple of more years, on SNL, for a few more years as a cast member. But because he worked with Paul Rubens... At Groundlings and helped create and write the Pee-wee Herman character. It's the very first credit that Phil Hartman ever receives on Saturday Night Live is during this 1985 episode with Pee-wee Herman hosting. So those are the uh, those are the interesting little tidbits um, about the episode. Overall, again, um, not very good. It you know it, it it showed the time pretty well. Like you know this was what it was like in the summer of 1985. These were the jokes. These were the pop culture bits. That they were doing, uh, I don't think you know. I think it was interesting that just Pee-wee Herman hosted, not Paul Rubens. I think it would have been much better and more varied um, episode had Paul Rubens just hosted it as Paul Rubens and done the Pee-wee character a few times, but was able to do other characters because he was able to do that. He was able to do other characters as you can you can see from his other work. Um, but at the time, it captured the zeitgeist perfectly. Like on November twenty third, nineteen eighty five. Pee-wee Herman was huge. The movie was big. And he was going to be on the verge of becoming a Saturday morning television megastar. So it did capture history really well. Politically in some of the sketches. Pop culturally in some of the sketches. And it's always interesting to go back and look at this season just to see how screwed up it was. With your weird cast of John Cusack and Robert Downey and Nora Dunn and Anthony Michael Hall and John Lovitz, Dennis Miller, Randy Quaid, Terry Sweeney, and Denitra Vance. It's interesting to go back and watch any of that, any of those episodes. So if you're going back to watch this episode, if you're searching for it online or if you're going to watch it on Peacock, be aware that it's heavily edited where they will take certain things from the dress rehearsal and put it into it. And they have sweetened it with a lot of canned fake laughter, which is annoyingly apparent when you watch it back. But so that's Pee Wee. Uh, Pee Wee, the only time he ever hosted the show. And Paul Rubens, again, um, was uh, not accepted as a cast member. If you want to hear all about it, go to episode nine of That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years and listen to Rejected by SNL Part 1 and you'll hear that whole story. So, uh, yeah. And and again, I would, I would suggest going back and watching uh, Pee Wee and Andy uh, Sandberg going out and getting drunk uh, from January of 2011. It's out there, too. So, those are the times that Pee Wee Herman has been connected to Saturday Night Live and that was the time that he hosted. So... More uh, fun stuff coming up on uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. I'm Nick Degilio. I want to thank Ed Silla and everybody at Radio Misfits. You should check out our live streaming. It's 24-7. It's like a radio station only cooler. It's radiomisfits.live. Um, you can also leave us voicemails here at 773-417-6948. You can uh, leave a voicemail there for this podcast and for my other podcast, my pop culture interview podcast called The Nick D Podcast. 773 417 6948. Send me an email for both podcasts at nickdpodcastgmail.com. At My thanks to Jason Skaggs, who does all the music and the themes, the opening theme, and this closing theme as well. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Spread the word. Rate us, review us, like us. And we'll see you next time on that show. Hasn't been funny in years. An SNL podcast.
1: Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.